Welcome to the Tribal Brand Podcast. I am Winton, also known as Patrick, but if you're my very good friend, you can call me Pat Man. Now, the name Winton comes from my great-great-grandfather, and it was passed down to me by my grandmother in the year 2004. And I asked her one time, I said, what does Winton mean? And she sat there and thought for a few minutes and said, it doesn't really mean anything. It's like if uh, you name your son Bob or John, it has no meaning. I find it hilarious when some white people ask me, what does you went and mean? There must be some meaning. And I tell them, no, there's really no meaning. But sometimes I do mess with them and make things up. It's kind of funny, too. So we come from the lower Elwa tribe down on the Olympic Peninsula. Part of me is Elwa, and part of me is Colville Indian, which is right smack dab in the middle of the state of Washington. And the other part of me is German. I get that from my dad's side. See, my grandfather was like half German or something. That's hence the name Schaefer, which apparently is a very, very important word in the German language. It means head of the household. That's me, head of the household. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about why I came up with the name Tribal Brand, where I come from, and basically what makes me tick. You see, sometimes this podcast will be a rant, sometimes it'll be a rave, but it's definitely going to be honest. I came up with the title, The Tribal Brand, because I always thought it fascinating how the horse Indians would brand their horses with their handprints. Sometimes it would identify who owned the horse. Sometimes it would identify how many kills they had. And sometimes it would identify them dying in battle. You see, the horse would always return back to the tribe. And if he returned without the rider, nine times out of ten, he was no longer alive. See, back then, way before the Caucasians made their way over to the East Coast, Natives would have battle. They would battle with each other. They would uh, have their skirmishes. It didn't mean they were savages. It didn't mean that they were uncivilized. It just meant that was the way, that was how it was done. Then the Europeans come along and they say, well, the Indians there, they're savages. Look at them. But in actuality, they had societies that were here for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, just down on the Elwa, when they drained the dams, there was a village there that was tested and had been there for over 8,000 years. Now just imagine that, 8,000 years. Now as far as I know, that's a long time in man years. It doesn't really mean much as far as earth years or universe years, but that's a very long time to have a society that everything seemed to be working okay. Of course they had their battles and skirmishes, but that's just the way it was. That's the way it worked. Now along comes Mr. White and says, no, this doesn't seem to be the way it should be, so we're going to go ahead and take this land, and we want you to sign this treaty. Now, the Treaty of 1855 was brought about by Mr. Stevens, who was the governor of Washington State at the time. You see, they said that the Indians weren't using the land the way it was supposed to be used. The whites wanted to use it a certain way. 
They wanted to turn the Indians into farmers. So, in 1855, they come along and they say, okay, we want you to sign this treaty. We're going to give you this little tiny piece of land and you can still fish and hunt in all the normal places, all the customary places that they had been for thousands and thousands of years. Now, what brings me on to this subject about fishing is I had a conversation with a guy at work a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about fishing and how I was going to start this podcast and he says to me, he goes, yeah, that's right. The Indians get all the salmon. And I said, whoa, whoa. You need to slow your roll there, my friend. The Indians don't get all the fish. The Indians get half the fish, which was part of the Treaty of 1855. You see, up until the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, Mr. White was making the Indians fish on the reservations, which as far as I know, isn't very much. That's not where they fished. They fished all over the state of Washington, wherever they could find the fish, that's where they fished. And they did it for thousands and thousands of years. So in the 1950s, 60s, and early 70s, the Indians were getting a lot of guff from the whites. See, the whites thought that the Indians were taking more than their share, which at the time was like 5% of the total catch. 5%. Mr. White would get 95%. And they wanted to keep the Indians down on the reservation to fish. It was actually the state of Washington began arresting the Indians for poaching because they were not fishing on the reservation. So the Indians decided to fight back a little bit. They would have fish-ins. They would have ceremonies. They would have get-togethers. And they finally decided that, no, this is not right. They started to cite the Treaty of 1855, which stated the Indians could fish and hunt in all their customary places. Now, the only reason that the state gave them that right was they did not want to feed the Indians. They thought that, well, if we give them that right, we won't have to worry about them. They can feed themselves, which was true to a certain degree. But at that time, they had already made the American Indians dependent on them for survival. They had already given the Indians the blankets. The blankets, by the way, that were infested with the smallpox disease, which killed millions, and the alcohol. Ooh, the alcohol. That was the good stuff. In fact, it's killing thousands of us today. I watched my mother and my father and my sister die from that wonderful, wonderful drug. And yes, it's got me too. But fortunately, I don't practice that anymore. Fortunately, I don't drink alcohol anymore because I don't want to be remembered like that. Don't want to be that guy. Been that guy. Don't want to do that anymore. So I moved on. Alcohol. No bueno. So now I'll get back to the fishing industries of the mid-1960s. When the Indians were fighting for their rights, Marlon Brando was getting arrested on the Puyallup River. That's right, folks. March 2nd, 1964. The future godfather was arrested for not having a fishing permit on the Puyallup River. That's about the time that the struggle started getting national attention from actors and politicians. But it didn't stop there. It went on until 1970 when the whites decided to raid the encampment 
where there were 55 adults and five Indian children arrested for standing up for their rights given to them in 1855 by the state of Washington and Governor Stevens. Finally, the Indians said, enough is enough. We're going to sue the state and go to court. So it went on like that until 1974 when Judge Bolt made his faithful decision to decide that, yes, in fact, the Indians do have the right to half the salmon and ordered the state to take charge to limit the fish that the whites were allowed to take. And boy, that didn't make them very happy. The white man was starting to get a little bit angry, starting a lot of violence, wanted to kill the Indians. How dare them Indians think that they deserve half the fish? Hell, we gave them 5%. Wasn't that enough? I remember watching the news in the 70s. I was living with my mom's ex-boyfriend. He was a white guy, redneck. And there was a report on how the Indian fishermen were fighting with the whites down on the Puyallup River. And Eugene was commenting on how shitty it was that the Indians were getting all these rights. They're going to take all the fish. How can that be? It's just not right. And I was the only Indian in the room. Imagine that. I'm 12 years old. And I'm trying to figure out if they could say those things about the Indians on the television, what did they feel about me? They often used the N-word, and I always thought, well, I'm a different color than them. They must not like me either. Because you see, in the summertime, I would get pretty red, red like an apple. In fact, I've been called an apple Indian, red on the outside, white in the middle. But that wasn't my fault. I was just born that way. So I was raised with the whites, but I had no Indian culture. I knew nothing about being an Indian. I knew nothing about my ancestry or my history. I'd met my grandmother, Adeline Smith, a few times when I was in the second or third grade, but back in the 60s, being an Indian wasn't cool or glamorous like it was when Dances with the Wolves came out. A lot of people thought that being an Indian was cool and glamorous. Anybody I ever met that even thought they had a little bit of Indian in them, always claimed that, well, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother was Cherokee, so I'm Cherokee. But I never say anything to them. I just let them have that little glimmer and sliver of hope. Maybe they sleep well at night because they have a little bit of Cherokee in them. I don't know. It's just funny to me that 400 years ago, the Indians were savages. And now, in the 21st century... It's glamorous to be an Indian. Now, I notice that you've probably noticed that I've been using the word Indian a lot. And that's the way I see myself. I see myself as an American Indian. I don't see myself as Native American. Because pretty much everybody born in this country is now Native American. So, I'm either American Indian or Indian. I don't mean anything by it. I don't, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or make somebody feel bad, but that's just the way I feel and the way I see myself. It's no big deal. That's what that lost explorer called us back when he landed here in the 1400s, Indians. Because he thought he was in India, we are now Indians. The lost explorer. That blows me away that all these explorers like Lewis and Clark and a couple of knuckleheads 
get led the way here by an Indian, and then they get all the credit for discovering. Now, discover. What does that really mean? Discover. That must have meant when Sacagawea brought Lewis and Clark over the Northwest Trail that it was covered up. Like uh, they came here and uncovered the Northwest. Like there was nobody here before that. They glamorize all these things in movies and stories. To me, it's nonsensical. What if they both would have died on their journey and it would have been somebody else? Somebody else would have taken the credit for something that had already been uncovered for at least 8,000 years. Sacagawea led them here, and I'm kind of mad about that. So all you people out there listening who have children who are in school, who are in grade school, middle school, and in high school, need to question their teachers about that. Our children and grandchildren need to question the education they are being taught. I remember in high school, one of my history teachers says, there's no way that an Indian can make an arrow because branches weren't straight. Uh, what? I always questioned those teachers. I always wanted the truth, but they never gave us the truth. It was all lies and innuendo. I know, I know, that was a different time. That was in a different century. Hopefully they're teaching the truth these days. Although, I really doubt it. I mean, why would they change now? The truth about Wounded Knee. The truth about Custer's Last Stand. See, that whole Wounded Knee actually started with Custer's Last Stand because when the Indians destroyed him, the whites wanted to make an example out of those leaders. And they did. In the end... It all ended up at Wounded Knee, where the whites broke out the Gatling gun and blasted women, children, old men, who were just trying to find freedom, who were just trying to find their way. I didn't find any of that in the history books when I was in high school, but you can find it on Google now. All you out there, bust out your computers, your phones, your iPads. And seek the truth. And tell your children the truth. And tell your grandchildren the truth. It needs to be known that this country was made through genocide and slavery. There's nothing glamorous about that. There's nothing heroic about that. And now we have our U.S. president bitching and moaning about building a wall across the Mexican border because the terrorists are crossing. The terrorists are coming. They're all criminals. They're all bringing drugs. No, that's not the case. Yeah, you might have a few bad guys bring some drugs over, but the fact of the matter is most of the drugs are coming across in semis or boats. No, they weren't the first terrorists. The first terrorists have been here for 600 years. And on and on and on we go. Wow, I really did go on a rant there, didn't I? I went off subject, went way down a different road. I was going to talk about the Elwha dams and how in 1910 they started building the dams and then when they were done in 1913 they promptly arrested the Indians for harvesting the salmon at the bottom of the dam because they could no longer move upstream and spawn out. Imagine being an Indian back then harvesting the fish 
which you've been doing for over 8,000 years. And Mr. White comes along and says, no, 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 no. You can't have them fish. What are you thinking? How can anybody be so hoggish? It's not selfish because they didn't want them for themselves. They just didn't want the Indians to have it. So they were arrested over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure most of them didn't even know the English language. They didn't know they were doing anything wrong. They weren't doing anything wrong. But that's how they were treated in 1913. Hell, the Indians weren't even U.S. citizens until 1923. My grandmother was born in 1918, five years before she could be a citizen in the United States of America. Indians couldn't even vote in all 50 states until 1968. I was seven years old at that time. Seems like yesterday, but it really wasn't. It was like 51 trips around the sun. That's a lot of miles and a lot of time. Some things have changed. Some things have gotten better. But at the same time, some things haven't changed. Some things haven't gotten better. There's still a lot of racism. Still a lot of finger pointing. Still a lot of blame. But let's move on. I'm going to close with this. I'm happy you all joined me. And I'm learning as I go. There might be times when I rant and rave and make no sense. But I hope you all enjoyed this first podcast from The Tribal Brand Podcast. I am you, Winton. If you'd like to email me, you can at uwinton.ly at thetribalbrandpodcast.com. And by the way, you might notice that I don't have any music I had a buddy of mine that said he's going to try to do me some flute music and maybe some drum music, but uh, he decided he couldn't find the time, and you know who you are. So, you out there, if you know any Indians who are giving away some music for free, I'd love to hear from them. Once again, uwinton.ly at thetribalbrandpodcast.com. Peace.